Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 165, Minds Problem Solve. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the 165th episode of the Changeable Podcast and to the third episode in our That's Just What Minds Do series. So if you're just jumping in now and you haven't heard the last two episodes, check them out. Minds Worry and Minds Compare. And today we're going to talk about how minds problem solve. And for the next two weeks after this one, we'll talk about a couple other things that all minds do. And these episodes correspond to part two in my book, Just a Thought, that's coming out October 1st. So check that out. Um, I think it's so important, as I've mentioned in all of these episodes, like the reason that we're looking at these specific things that all minds do is because literally all minds do them. <laughs> and and how do we experience comparison and worry and problem solving, not as if it's a universal process that a machine does. We don't experience worry and comparison and problem solving the way we experience, um, I don't know, a calculator. When you type some numbers into a calculator, you get some numbers out. We don't type punch some numbers into a calculator and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it gave me 705. Why would it give me 705? What is wrong with me? What is wrong with my calculator that it spit out 705? We don't take it the least bit personally. <laughs> we, we don't stay up thinking about it at night. It doesn't create a problem for us. It's just a machine doing what a machine does. And if we can start to see our minds and what they all do with even just a tiny bit of that, a uh, lack of personal story with a little bit of that lack of meaning, just seeing it as this universal process that is not a problem, that is all, always, always rooted in intelligence, that comes from uh, like the minds do and brains do what they do because they've needed to, to keep us alive and to help us survive. Now, that's not the same as saying that they need to do those things today. So, for example, in the, in the Minds Worry episode, we talked about how a brain has evolved to worry because it, it needs to guess what might happen and keep you physically alive. And when brains were really good at that, they carried on those, that ability and people stayed alive. And now we have brains that do that all the time. So I think it's just so big, though, to see, wow, there's a perfectly good reason for what my mind is doing and how my brain works. It doesn't mean that it doing those things today is helpful or that we have to pull up a chair and listen to it really closely or that it's accurate in any way. So brains evolve to worry. And that doesn't at all mean that your worry today is helpful or accurate or personal. It's not. It's a it's a machine doing what a machine has evolved to do. But to see that, 
you know, to really see, okay, there is no problem here. There is just misunderstanding. And honestly, we could say that about everything in life. There is no problem here. There's just innocent misunderstanding. So when we start to look at these universal processes, these universal things that literally every single mind does, not your mind, not my mind, but mind, period, what life, these are just universal ways that life lives us. When we see it like that, so much of that story and concern and it feeling personal and all the meaning and all of that just fall away. They just don't make sense anymore. And and that's how we get to be, you know, as fully human as we can possibly be without being so caught up in everything, without being so sensitive to everything and and having life just feel so hard. It doesn't have to feel hard. Even when your mind is worrying and comparing and problem solving, it just doesn't have to feel so personal or so hard. So in today's conversation, we're going to look at a third of five of these things that all minds do. And this one is about problem solving. So here's the thing about problem solving. <laughs> Our mind creates problems and our mind tries to solve the problems. And we really have to see the whole, that whole equation, like both sides of that. Because if problems look real, and if it looks really real and valid that there are problems happening to, to you, to an actual identity, you know, a stable, solid you, and oh my gosh, you have now have these stable, solid problems happening to you, of course, you're going to jump on board with your mind looking for solutions. It couldn't be any other way. If you feel truly at, th- at threat, threatened in some way, truly at risk in some way, of course you're going to look for a way to get out of that. This is what I talk about all the time with habits. You know, when people say, oh, I just, I need to stop overeating. I need to stop binge eating. I just need to stop drinking. And they're focused so solely on the behavioral side of the equation. All you have at your disposal at that point is willpower. And they just are focused on, okay, this behavior must stop. Well, this behavior can't stop. That behavior makes absolute perfect sense given how life looks to you. So when you feel like you absolutely cannot handle the energy moving through you, otherwise known as the emotions you're feeling or feelings that you're feeling, when you think I absolutely cannot handle this, of course you go eat a bunch of food or drink a bunch of alcohol. It couldn't be any other way. When that feels really threatening, when what you're feeling truly feels personal and threatening, of course you look for a coping mechanism. Why would we take that away? And, and it's the same thing here. When problems look like real things, of course we jump on board when the machine in our head is constantly trying to solve them. And we get really involved and we think, yeah, I do need to solve this. And ooh, that's a good idea. No, that one's not so good. Well, let me think of some more ideas. And we're right in there in the thick of it with our mind trying to solve every problem, losing sight of the fact that 
these quote unquote problems were created by the same mind that's trying to solve them. So sometimes this is a touchy subject. Um, People will say, totally understandably so, you can't tell me there's no such thing as a problem, like actual real problem. You know, so if I said all problems are thought, they're all thought created, that's, that's all they are. I mean, literally, a problem doesn't exist in this moment now out in the world. The world doesn't have problems. Life doesn't have problems. Nature doesn't have problems. It takes a thought to call something a problem. It takes language. It takes uh, the labeling of something, and which is just language slapped on it, right? It takes someone's opinion. It takes a mind and a brain to experience a problem. There are no problems without minds and brains. I totally get how that can feel really um, insensitive at times and, and you know, that people get kind of upset. Like, no, <laughs> I just was diagnosed with something or my marriage is falling apart or, you know, they'll point to things in the world. And so I, I don't know, I guess I just want to ease into this and just really have you, as you're listening to this, consider consider and just what if, just what if this along with me what if there's no such thing as a problem without a thought that calls something a problem? Like, I don't think the trees outside in my yard have a problem. Whether it's really hot, whether it's really cold, whether they're losing all their leaves, whether that woodpecker keeps pecking into them, that time that they had that tree virus disease thing that we had to spray them down all the time and they had little tree mites on them. I don't think my tree experienced any of that as a problem because my tree doesn't think. Now, we thought it was a problem. We might think a lot of that as a problem. But really, I mean, does the tree? It, it kind of takes a brain to have a problem. And even bigger than that. So even as I say that, it's like there's lots of animals that have brains. And I don't know that they experience problems. Or if they do, maybe not in quite the way that we do, which sort of leads me to think, like, does a turtle experience a problem? Does a bird experience problems? I don't know. But I don't think they do the way that we humans do. So even bigger than a brain being a prerequisite for a problem, consider that it's the ability to tell and get caught up in a story. It's thought arising, opinionated thought arising that says this shouldn't be happening. Some variation always, right, of this shouldn't be happening. And And that thought just looking true, that thought being identified with as truth. And and even in that, even just a plain blanket old, this shouldn't be happening, I mean, that can feel like a problem. But we all know it doesn't stop there. Think of a problem in your life. There's for sure a this shouldn't be happening sentiment behind it. And there's all kinds of other stuff. There's a whole spider web of, of thinking about 
not only should this not be happening, but what should be happening instead and what it means. This is a big one. What it means that this is happening and another big one, what it means about you, what it means for and about you and your past and your future and the person you are. So this is when when problems are experienced, is when there is a thought that arises that says, this shouldn't be happening. Life's got it wrong. My idea for how this should go is better. Life has it wrong. And oh, by the way, here's all the reasons it shouldn't be happening and all the meaning and all the story connected. Like that's what we experience as a problem. And again, like take a look for yourself, but that doesn't exist in life. Problems don't exist in life. They exist in thought only. So it's so funny and kind of just crazy to think how our mind creates this idea of us and who we are. And then our mind creates problems and it links those problems just simply by saying this shouldn't be. It links those perceived problems that it just created to us, which makes them feel even more problematic, of course. And then like all together, all in one big bundle of thinking, it's looking for solutions to the problem it just created. <laughs> it's really, it's really dizzying. So I, I wrote in the book in this chapter about Matthew, who was um, a client of mine who had this amazing work that he loved and he loved the team he worked with and everything was great. And then something happened. They had a fallout and I talk about it a little bit more in the book. The details aren't that important, but they basically had kind of a creative difference of opinion and some issue with the clients and all kinds of stuff happened. And Matthew ended up leaving his job and leaving this, this friend group, which is a really close group while they work together. Um, and now he's in work that he doesn't love so much, you know, which doesn't help because his mind is seeing that as a problem. This shouldn't be. I should love my work. I used to love my work, which just snowballs into, well, that thing that happened at the work that I loved shouldn't have happened. And, you know, they shouldn't see it the way they see it. And this shouldn't have gone down the way it went down. And all of this is happening for Matthew while at the point that I was talking with him, like, I don't know, a year or two after he'd been out of the job. So it's a, it's a funny thing, and this might sound so obvious, and it might be really, really easy to not see. But it's like, Matthew, <laughs> buddy, <laughs> there's no problem right now. Time aside, I mean, I want to say this was two years ago, but even that is irrelevant. Right now, in this moment, where's the problem? Find it. Go find it. If you have to go find it, the only place you'll look is in thought that's showing up. And what we know about thought that shows up is thought shows up and thought goes away all by itself. So you better look at the right point when the problem is right there in your mind. Because in a minute, your mind's going to flip to something else. That's just what minds do. And you're not going to be able to find the problem. Then maybe it'll come back. You can probably find it at some point. It'll come back or you'll, you'll go digging around enough. But then you'll get distracted and it'll go away. So it's like, wait a minute, where is this problem really? Where is it? And, and it was especially easy to see, I think, in this case, because it was so far out. You know, it's like, 
wait a minute, you've been in this other job. Sure, you, you might not love it. It is what it is. But right now, today on some random, you know, April afternoon, all of a sudden your mind is all about how that shouldn't have happened two years ago at the old job. It's all about, is this a problem? Like, do I need to do something? Is there something I missed? Is there something I need to go revisit? Is there something I need to make amends for? That's where Matthew's mind was going. And it was so clear and like in in real time. I don't know if I'm describing it well, but in my experience of it really with him, it was so clear, like, wow, look how thought showed up. It looks real and relevant and personal. There's the creation of a problem. And then look, right on the heels of that, right on the heels of that, more thought shows up that says, I know, I'll fix this. There must be something I can do. That looks equally real and relevant and personal. And there's a mind creating a problem and then trying to solve it. Think about how often in your life. And again, I, I acknowledge that sometimes it's tough, when, especially when we're a little bit newer to this way of seeing things or we're just not used to, um, just not, not used to questioning where our mind goes so much. Um, I know it might be tough because we're in this huge reality in that moment of, no, this went down and it shouldn't have, and it just looks so absolutely true and solid. So that's the case for all of us. It's very hard sometimes to to see that this stuff is not a problem. And you don't have to go that far. You don't have to see in every single moment that, you know, my mind's just talking and there is no real problem here, but just look, you know, you don't have to actually see it, but it's, it'll really benefit you to at least just kind of look and really look and see what you do discover around this in a different way. Like, oh, isn't it interesting that a minute ago, this was nowhere. This, this reality I'm living in five minutes ago or even five hours ago, whatever, five days ago, it didn't exist. And now I'm smack dab in the middle of it and it looks and feels so solid and like it's, it needs a solution. Well, how come it didn't need a solution five minutes ago or five days ago? Just stuff like that is interesting to, to be curious about. You know, all of that starts to wake us up little by little to this really, really solid, real uh, thought-created reality that we're living in in each and every moment that we'll swear up and down is a real problem that needs a real solution. So look at this for yourself, you know, and just see how often you're just in your life and then all of a sudden a problem appears. Like you're just out for a walk and all of a sudden, oh, there's that project I have to finish or, oh, there's that dinner I have to make. Where was that 30 seconds ago? And how right after that, is an instant mind-initiated search for a solution to this apparent problem. It's like they're connected. Because, I don't know if you know that expression, um, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I don't, I don't remember if I wrote about it in this chapter. I think I might have. But I love that expression because it just, ta- it's so, so um, 
descriptive of what a mind does. Our mind is like a hammer. Our intellect is a tool. Our brain is a machine. It's this amazingly smart, brilliant tool. And it wants to do its job. That's the theme of everything we're talking about in these five episodes and part two of the book is all a mind just does what a mind does because a brain just really, really wants to do its job well. And this is how it's best learned to do its job. So so a mind creates, you know, thinks stuff up and that looks like a problem. And then right away, right on the heels of that, as part of it, it's it's on this wild goose chase to find solutions to what ju- it just created. And I just think it's really cool to, to see this as a process and to see, oh my gosh, look at my sweet little mind. Look how hard it works to to solve things. Look at how it's a hammer. It's a really good hammer. And it just seems to be sitting there saying, use me, just use me for something. I'm a hammer. Oh, is this a nail? Is this a nail? Is that a nail? And it just wants to be of, of value. It just wants to be of use. It's got a lot of energy, a lot of energy to burn, apparently. And, and just seeing that, I think, starts to help you wake up to the problem creation and problem solution dyad, how they're really two sides of the exact same coin. In the chapter, I talked about how, um, I wrote about how in my conversation with Matthew, we came, we came around to him sort of seeing, oh, this is just my mind. Like he, he even said, because he's he was onto this a little bit, and I, I remember this conversation so clearly. He even said, like the next day or days later, um, yeah, I kind of knew even in the thick of it. I was kind of onto it even in the thick of it that uh, that there was no actual problem for me to solve, or that if something was going to be done, it was going to be done, and that I didn't need to jump in into the solution mode and try to try to fix things. So he said, I even saw it in the moment, but it felt good. It felt good and like useful. I really got sucked into that feeling of, yeah, I am going to get to the bottom of this and I am going to fix this. And I love that so much because I feel that all the time. I mean, I'm guessing we all do. There's this weird, seductive, like compelling, like, I want to, I want to figure this out. I'm going to cross this off my list. (laughs) And, and, you know, and that kind of, bolsters this uh, this misunderstanding that there's a real problem because we're sort of feeling good. Like, yeah, this is a problem and we are going to solve it. And that's just so, I don't know, I just love that that kind of feels good. I think that says a lot about how identified with our mind we get at times and um, and how much it wants to do what it's trying to do, how a brain just really wants to do what it's trying to do. But what Matthew realized or what he what we talked about was him saying, yeah, it felt kind of good. He's like, but then I sort of saw in a weird way, it was just sort of like like my mind needed to like chew on a bone, the way a dog chews on a bone. He he had enough distance from the content, from the, should I call the people I used to work with? Should I try to get my job back? All that stuff, which was just leading nowhere. He had enough distance from the story from the content to see a little, to see the process a little more clearly. And when he could back up enough and see that process a little more clearly, it looked to him like a dog chewing on a bone. Dogs just got some energy. They just need to sit and chew on something. It's not getting them anywhere. 
It's not about getting to the end of that bone. It's not about solving anything. They're not solving the puzzle of the bone. They're just letting off energy. And it's repetitive and it's habitual and it kind of leads in circles, but that's okay. That's just, that's just how it is sometimes. I just think that's a really cool, um, a really cool way of seeing this. You know, we don't look at our dogs and say, I can't believe you're wasting time on a bone again. What's wrong with you? Again, it's not personal. It's like, okay, there's some energy here. You're just doing what you do. Same with a mind, creating problems, solving problems, scanning for problems that don't exist. I know you know that one. (laughs) I used to do that all the time. Any bit of peace and quiet, it's like my mind would wake up and scan. What can I prevent? (laughs) What's about to happen that I can prevent, which is so hilarious. How the heck would my mind know what's about to happen? And how the heck would it think it's going to prevent something that isn't even real in this moment? But that's, that's what it does. So I don't know. I hope, I hope you can feel a little bit of compassion for your mind and, and it just being a really good hammer that just wants to nail down some really good nails and, and kind of see it more like that dog chewing on a bone. Just because your mind's creating problems tying them to you, which it also created, coming up with solutions doesn't mean there's an actual problem. It doesn't mean there's anything to solve. It's just a mind doing what a mind does. My new book, Just a Thought, will be out in just a little bit over two weeks, two weeks on October 1st. And I'm having a party on October 1st to celebrate. I'll be hosting a free book launch party where I'll share some inside scoop about the book and I'll give away some incredible prizes, including five totally free seats in the Just a Thought Book Club. The Just a Thought Book Club is a $299 value and it's a book club starting in mid-October where I'll be walking people through the book, uh, giving all kinds of extra information and support and coaching people the whole way through. So RSVP for the free launch party at dramyjohnson.com slash launch party and join us. And who knows, you might win a free seat in the book club. I hope to see you there. <laughs>